John 10, 31 says, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. That's Jesus. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you are being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. So the Pharisees, the Jewish people who refused to believe in Jesus, were picked up rocks and going to throw them at his head and kill him. And he says, which one of my miracles are you going to kill me for? And they said, we're not killing you for your good works or your miracles. We're killing you because you're blaspheming God by saying you're the son of God. And he pulls this sentence out of the Old Testament. It's from Psalm 82. And he says, the scripture says, you are God. So why do you kill me because I say I'm the son of God when your own, what we now call the Old Testament, when your own scriptures say you are God's? Jesus, quoting Psalm 82, says we are God's. Don't look at me that way. Jesus said it. Let's look at Psalm 82 that he's quoting. Just for full context, this is the entire psalm. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. So there's the entire psalm that Jesus is quoting. So the Pharisees are going to kill him for saying he's the son of God. And he says, well, the, your own scriptures, are what we would call the Old Testament, he says, the scriptures say that you're all gods. And you're going to kill me because I say I'm the son of God? And so there's what he's quoting, and he's not taking it out of context. The psalm says, you are all gods. What in the world could he possibly mean? We're, we know that we are created in the image of God. We're very comfortable with that one from Genesis, which is also on the screen, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we've heard that before, that we're created in the image of God. And we're comfortable with that because that's a famous verse. Most of you probably didn't even know that in the scripture, Jesus said, we are gods. And if you did know, you probably never heard a sermon on it. <laughs> I know I haven't. <laughs> Preachers don't want to touch that one. <laughs> the word image here means exact representation or a perfect reflection. That we, God created us to look exactly like him. So what in the world could Jesus and Asaph possibly mean by this? Because we know that we can't create matter 
and we don't receive worship and we aren't saving the world and we aren't perfect and we can't raise ourselves from the dead. Hmm. What in the world? I'm not here to tell you that I understand this. And I'm not here to tell you that the way I'm going to apply this for us is the only application of what Jesus meant. I'm not here to say that. But this scripture has been in me now for months, and I was just kind of waiting to the end of my sermon series to get to it. And it's been and it's been building, and the Lord continually comes back to this with me. So I'm excited about this morning. It's going to be it's going to be good. There is a way in which we are gods, little G, where we are equal on equal par with God, capital G, where He gives us autonomy, where He created us with independence, complete independence from his will. And that is what we believe and how we will behave. We get to choose, completely separate from his will, we get to choose who we are and how we behave, what we believe, how we think, what our attitude is. And he will not override that and take control and make us do his will. He has put us on equal par with him in that we get to create our own reality based on what we choose to believe or how we choose to act or the attitudes we choose or how we spend our time. He will not override the sovereignty of the belief, sovereignty of belief that he gives us. You know who Eeyore is? In Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore is the donkey who's always in the rain. Everything is bad. Everything is mopey. Everything is sad. Nothing good or exciting ever happens. Anybody know a person like that? No matter what happens, they're negative about it, depressed, scared, sad. There's nothing. It's all going to turn out bad. Anybody know a Pollyanna? That's the exact opposite. No matter what happens, it's always going to work. It's going to be great. They've got their head in the sand and refuse to look at reality. It's all going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And we have no problems. Both of these people are creating their own reality with what they choose to believe. The attitude, the attitude they choose to have, they are creating themselves and they're creating their own outlook on life. You've heard the phrase before, colored lenses, that if you wore red sunglasses, everything you saw would be red, right? And you've heard of before uh, maybe the old saying that says, to a thief, all men are thieves, meaning that somebody who is a thief, it's what's in him, it's his identity, it's how he thinks and what he does. He doesn't understand that not everyone is like that, right? To a man bound in lust, all women are sex objects, and he doesn't understand that's not the way some men think. It's just, well, it's, it's what men do. We imagine women naked. Well, no, not everybody. But the person who has got the lens in front of their eyes, it's the way they look at life. It's the, I've talked to you about helmets before. It's that stronghold on their mind. It's how they see the world, and it's what in them creates reality. Because their perception of things is their own reality, and God gave us the freedom to create ourselves and our own reality by our choices our outlook, our attitude, our faith, or lack thereof. Titus 1.15 says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. Even their mind and conscience are defiled. 
They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. To the pure, all things are pure. If your core, your heart, your soul, if that's pure, then the whole world's pure. But if you're defiled in some way, you're going to see the world that way. If you have fear in your heart, everything in the outside is something to be scared of. If you have rejection in your heart, you're going to see all people as enemies and somebody to be wary of. If you've been hurt by authority figure, you're going to see all authority figure that way. As a threat instead of a protection. Just to the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled, everything's gross and dirty. The person who wants money and thinks about money all the time, everything is, where's my opportunity to make a buck off of this person or use this situation or leverage that? Because what's in us creates our reality. To the pure, all things are pure. The angels are in heaven worshiping God and they're shouting, the earth is full of the glory of the Lord! And we're going to be, um, and uh, where would that be? Because we see problems and tragedies and war. and But to the pure, all things are pure. Because what is in us comes out of us and it creates our own reality. So those of you who were around back then, you heard Pastor Duane give this illustration quite a few times. But a traveling salesman is, is traveling along the road and he stops to talk to a farmer over the fence. And he, the salesman asks the farmer, he says, what are the people like in the town up the road? And the farmer asks him, he says, well, what were the people like in your last town you were in? And he says, oh, man, they were, they were bad. They were really strange and distant, and they wouldn't buy my stuff, and they didn't like me, and I had a really tough time there. And the farmer says, well, uh, you'll find the next town is a lot the same. Salesman goes on his way. Another salesman comes by a little while later, and he stops to ask the farmer, he says, what are the people like in the town up ahead the road on the road? And he says, well, what did you find in the previous town he says they were great they were really friendly people they welcomed me we got along awesome and and i sold a bunch of stuff and he says well you'll find the next town is pretty much the same because each man created his own experience with his own attitude with his own outlook you've heard the term self-fulfilling prophecy before the way you think something is going to happen is the way you will make it happen if you expect your relationships to fail you will sabotage them if you expect things to work out, you will have faith and there will be a way. Here's some scripture that shows this in action from Psalm 84. Let me read the whole thing and then I'll explain what it's talking about. Psalm 84, 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. The first line is, blessed are the people whose strength is, in, is from God. Okay, that's anybody who wants to worship God, walk with God, anybody who's a believer. Okay, it says, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. The context of this is the people traveling to Jerusalem to worship God. In our Christian faith, it would be our life's journey on our way to the new Jerusalem, which is heaven. Okay, All right. It says, as they pass through the Valley of Baca, the Valley of Baca is a is a desert valley outside of Jerusalem somewhere that you would have to pass through to get to Jerusalem. And Baca means suffering or tragedy. So this psalm says, Blessed are those who on their way to Jerusalem go through the valley of suffering. It is an actual physical valley there in Israel, but its name means suffering or tragedy or trouble. Blessed are those who go through the valley of trouble on their way to Jerusalem or for us, heaven. 
as they pass through, they make it a place of springs and water pools. Think Middle Eastern climate and topography. It's a desert. You go, as you travel through that area of the world, you go from oasis to oasis, otherwise you will die. This verse says, when, you, when these people who are going toward the Lord, when they are traveling toward Jerusalem, his home, and they go through the valley of suffering, they make it an oasis when they get there. They bring their own reality with them. Hello. When they go through suffering, they don't respond like everybody else because they have life in them. And when they pass through the desert and the valley of suffering, they bring life. Water just comes out of the desert and fruitful stuff happens when they're around, even in the midst of their trouble or their suffering. They go from strength to strength. They're just some people that are just like the energizer bunny of faith. You just can't get them down. Just one thing after another and they keep getting punched in the face and they just keep coming back. You're like, no, God is good. We can do this. We can make it. Yeah! I like being around those people. They go from strength to strength even as they travel through the valley of suffering. Because what is in them comes out and they create their own reality even when the world around them is the valley of suffering, they bring an oasis. I don't mean they brought bottled water with them. I mean they make water spring up out of desert dry places. Come on. We are a self-fulfilling prophecy. We create reality because we are gods. Little g. Little G. Jesus said it, not me. Okay? We get to create reality with our beliefs, our attitudes, our choices, how we spend our time, what we focus our thoughts on. You are you. You are separate and independent in your existence from, from everybody else, and you get to create who you are. You are in you, and you're not in anybody else. You are an autonomous being. You and God, each one of us, individually. I don't know how many of you else have had this experience, but several people first service said they had. You go on vacation somewhere out of this valley, and you're gone for some time, visiting family or go to the coast or Hawaii or wherever you go. And and when we come back into this valley here, and for us it's driving north of Island City on our way to Imbler, the road that I drive four or six times a day sometimes. And it's instantly, we're not even home yet from vacation. We've been visiting my family in Missouri for three weeks or something. We're not even home yet, but instantly it is like the vacation was all a dream. Like, were we just gone for three weeks? Cause, and it's not that I don't like being home, but it's just like the weight of, real life and responsibility are back on because now we're home. Anybody else ever experienced that? Like you've been somewhere and you get back home and it's like the whole thing is gone. And now it's just a memory. Right? Because we can only be in one place at one time. So when we're on vacation, it's kind of hard to imagine what's going on back here at home. When we're here, it's kind of hard to imagine that where we were on vacation is still there. And we would like to be back there, but we're here because we're a soul and a spirit being carried around in a body and we are confined to us and we can't be in more than one place at one time. And where we are is where we are and who we are is who we are. We're in our own existence. 
put it that way. Proverbs 14, verse 10 says this, a heart, The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. It is impossible for us to get outside of ourselves to 100% fully communicate with another person because our own heart has to bear our own experiences, our own feelings, our own beliefs, our own knowledge. Even in the closest friendship or the closest marriage, you're still two people, and even if you're using the same words, there's different definitions and nuances and histories and angles and stuff, and you can be very much in love with a friend or or a spouse or family member. Nobody is ever going to fully understand except God. Because God is the only one that is in your heart and knows what you know and feels what you feel. We are in our own existence in that way and we create and we define uh, that reality by what we choose to believe the attitude we choose to have the faith we choose to have or not that's the way we spend our time what we put in our eyes and our ears or not shapes who we are because also in proverbs chapter 9 verse 12 says if you are wise you are wise for yourself and if you scoff you will bear it alone we can only believe for ourselves we can only know anything for ourselves. There are skills that I have that I want to teach Will, and I am, how to change brake pads or change oil, or in the case of the last three weeks, how to build a deck, which is not my skill, but I'm learning. We learn together. But there are things that I know that I can teach him about working in the outside world, and I can teach him lessons that I've learned in life and, and things that I believe and know, but as bad as I want my kids to know God like I do, I can't do anything to force that to happen except walk with God myself because they are completely autonomous. All I can do is be a good example and teach them the Word of God and model that myself. Man, as much as I would like to just hit that software button that would just make them follow God when they're 19, I have zero control over that. And if I try, I'm on ungodly soil. All I can do is do it myself. And hope that they love me and I love them and they want to follow. What I know, I know to myself. As much as I want all of you to passionately, fervently follow God and burn with holy fire, some of you don't. I can't do a thing about it except walk with God myself. Teach you what I know. Hope we can go along together. I can't force anything. Because it's impossible and because it would be really manipulatively and grossly controlling to try. Some of you may have lived under a pastor that tried that. To make you do something one way or another. It's not any fun. The freedom, the autonomy, the independence that God has created us with when it comes to our own faith, our own beliefs, our own attitudes and choices is 100%. We are that free and we are that responsible for what we choose. I said we are that free and we are that responsible. We live under a nanny government and some of you have nanny parents who hover over you like helicopters and make all your choices for you. God will not do that. 
Jesus stands outside the door of his own church that he paid for with his own blood and he knocks on the door and waits for us to open it up. Even though he owns us, he stands outside and knocks on the door and waits for us to open the door to him. The Holy Spirit will never ever possess anybody. He is invited. So, what we do and what we know is for ourselves. And we create ourselves by our choices and our beliefs and our attitudes. So forgiveness creates a reality. And unforgiveness creates a reality. It changes, it creates who you are and it creates how you experience life. And you would say, no, Mitch, that's not true. I am not in charge of my life because God made me a certain way and this happened to me and I was robbed or I was abandoned or I was raped or I was wronged in some certain way. I, I, I have not been in charge of who I am. Life happened to me. No, you are in charge of who you are. Because forgiveness creates a reality. And yes, things were done to you that you didn't choose, that you didn't want, that have caused great damage or pain. But forgiveness creates a reality that if you will forgive what was done to you, that sin can be just as gone and forgotten as your own sin before God. And you can literally change the past by forgiving. Because God is not the God of I was. He is I am. I am right now. Today is the day of salvation and we can choose to live right now with God where we are right now or we can continually whine and groan and cry and be victims of the past. You're totally free to do either one. And God will let you. Because you are God's. Little g. Depression creates reality, so does joy. It's our choice. We can see everything as something to be sad about. Or we can see everything to be something happy about. We can choose love or hate, greed or generosity, fear or courage, direction or lostness, goals or hopelessness, lust or lies or innocence. We can choose stress or peace. No, Mitch, I don't choose my stress. Yes, you do. No, stress happens to me. No, it doesn't. Stress is a choice because we all have the exact same time in every day and we all have things to do and some people are stress balls and other people are quite at peace. We can choose to work or be lazy. We can choose rebellion or peace. We can look at authorities as protection or threat. We can choose, see everything that happens in life as a fight or a celebration. And whatever we choose to think is what it will be. Because God has given us that complete autonomy to define our own existence based on the choices and the thoughts and the beliefs that we want to have. Now the next picture, this is all of us. Sometimes the thing that's holding you back is all in your head. That's a mule tied to a lawn chair. That lawn chair is your budget. It's fear. It's depression, it's anger, it's unforgiveness, it's doubt, it's lust, 
It's laziness. It is not possible to hold you back except that you believe you are tied down. Your beliefs create your reality. God made you a strong, really super strong mule of a spirit. And Satan has tied you to a plastic lawn chair that you could drag away without even knowing it was there. Oh no, Mitch, I, we could never do that. I couldn't go follow that dream. I, I, no, I, I couldn't quit my job and follow God. No, no, money, Mitch, money. No, money. Time. No, not me. People don't like me. Well, if you believe people don't like you, then you'll act like they don't, and guess what? They won't. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You create you, and you create your own reality, and you create your own experiences. If you believe you have something to offer you will start offering things. If you believe people want to be your friend, you'll start being friendly and you will have friends. God, capital G, gives us the complete freedom to make our own choices. He will not possess us and make us do what is right. We can choose Him or we cannot. This sovereignty of belief, this freedom of choice, He has extended He so honors our own freedom that it creates our relationship with Him or not. Check this out from Mark chapter 6. When the Sabbath had come, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing Him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this that He has given, that such mighty works are performed by His hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not His sisters here among us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So Jesus comes back to his hometown, and he begins to preach, and they are amazed at his words, but then they begin to get offended. They're like, This is little Jesus. He was in my class. He was in my son's class growing up in school, or my daughter played soccer with him, or you know, whatever it would be. And like, no, no, this is not some son of God prophet. We know where this kid is from, and we, we raised him with our kids, and everybody in town knows this guy. And they refused to believe that he was who he said he was, and it says he could do no mighty work there. It doesn't say he wouldn't because he was upset with them. It doesn't say he was not able to because they didn't have faith. It says he, he couldn't because they didn't believe him there unbelief defined their experience of Jesus. It wasn't that he held back. It wasn't that he didn't. It wasn't that he got upset so he just left. It was he could do no miracles in that town. No, Mitch, I could never limit Jesus. You are God's. Little G. God, big G, will not trespass your choices. God, capital G, says, you need saved, and I love you and want to save you. And you say, no, I don't need Jesus, thank you very much. Who wins? You do. Now, he will hunt you down and haunt you. But he will not trespass if you just continually refuse to. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, those in hell will finally have the complete freedom that they demanded. 
It's not his exact words, but that's what he says. Those who end up in hell will finally have the complete freedom that they demanded. God says, by my stripes, you are healed. I don't believe that. Who wins? You do. Probably not going to see a miracle if you don't believe it. God has given us that responsibility and that amount of freedom. From Psalm 78, says the same thing, speaking of the Israelites in the wilderness with Moses. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. The Israelites, because they refused to believe God, because they were afraid, they limited God. doesn't say God got mad at them and didn't do what he wanted to do. It says their unbelief, their fear, limited what he would have done. Now think about that. The Bible could have greater stories than it does, but the people didn't believe, so God could not do them. That's quite a responsibility. That's amazing. That's how committed he is to our freedom, to believe him or not. Romans 6 is a positive example of this, how our attitude and choices in faith creates our own relationship with God. Romans 6 says, Surely you know that when you surrender yourselves as slaves, you obey someone. You are in fact the slaves of the master you obey, either of sin, which results in death, or of obedience, which results in being put right with God. But thanks be to God, for though at one time you were slaves to sin, you have obeyed with all your heart the truths found in the teaching you received. You were set free from sin and became the slaves of righteousness. At one time you surrendered yourselves entirely as slaves to impurity and wickedness for wicked purposes. In the same way, you must now surrender yourselves entirely as slaves of righteousness for holy purposes. Amen. It's our choice to who we surrender to, who we will obey. We can surrender as slaves of sin, which we all volunteered for in the beginning, or we can surrender to Jesus. It is his, I'm sorry, it is our choice. But the good news is, if responsibility scares you, the good news is, this verse says that when we surrender to Jesus, we become slaves of righteousness. Well, if we sign on to serve him, and he is our master, who pays all the bills in that relationship? The master. Who makes the decisions? The master. Who calls the shots? The master. Who's responsible? the master. If this responsibility scares you of, oh no, I have to make every choice right and get it all correct and I'm responsible for the outcome of my life. And if you just surrender to Jesus, he will take care of the rest. So we are completely free and completely responsible to make that one choice of do I want Jesus or not? And if you say yes to Jesus, then he will take care of everything. He will never ever possess us and make us do right, but as we continually every day just choose, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, I will obey, I will change, I will die to myself, I will do this, then he takes care of everything. And there is zero stress or responsibility about how my life turns out. I'm just obeying the word of God and the voice of the Spirit, and he takes care of it all. He creates our reality as we obey. We get to create our past, 
through forgiveness. I'm using the word create on purpose. We can create a different past than what actually happened. Does God not do that? He washes our sins as white as snow. They are as far as the east is from the west. They are under the sea of forgetfulness. What the old is gone and the new has come. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. God literally recreates the past. When we come under the blood of Jesus, he recreates the past. That the old you does not exist anymore. All of your deeds are washed away. Jesus said, you are God's. Little g. When we forgive, it does the same thing. All the tragedy and pain and trauma that happened to us in the past, all the things that we think we did that screwed up too bad, they don't exist. We can literally recreate the past by our own choices beliefs, and actions. We create our present with our attitudes, our outlooks, our faith, or lack thereof. And we create our future. Everything we're doing now creates eternity. Remember, wood, hay, straw, silver, gold, precious stones. Whatever we're doing now defines our eternal existence. Every choice we make, everything we choose to believe or do how we're going to spend our time, what we're going to put into our souls, creates something. We are that free and we are that responsible. So somebody would ask, well, how can I know that I know the truth? If I have these colored lenses on me, if, I, if I'm tied to this chair, how do I know if I can move it or not? <laughs> if I am only in myself, then how can I know that my thinking is correct? Last scripture. It'll set you free. Second Corinthians 3 says, People's minds are blinded. A veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. This veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Amen. Amen. This verse says, nobody thinks straight. We're all blinded until we come to Jesus. And in Jesus, the veil or the curtain or the wall of lies and blackness and blindness comes off and we can see who Jesus is. And as we continue to look at him day after day, year after year, decade after decade, we become like him. As we continually say yes, as we continually gaze at him, look into his word and see who he is, we know that we are knowing the truth and that we are becoming like him. And all those layers of lies and beliefs and doubts and fears just keep getting broken off and we see clearer and clearer and clearer the truth. And we become like Him. Amen. If you don't know Jesus this morning, we would really like you to know Him. You can be free from whatever that stupid little lawn chair that's holding you back. You can, he can come along and cut that rope and you can run free.
from whatever sin bondage or doubts or fears or whatever is holding you back from being who God made you to be. Let's get you cut free of that dumb little plastic lawn chair that you think is such a weighty deal that you couldn't move. He wants to cut you free of that. Whatever is coloring your perception of reality that isn't real, he wants to pull that off to set your mind free. And he will do it by showing you himself, by revealing himself to you. You will see him for who he is and you will know the truth in that area for the first time. Maybe you do know Jesus, you've been walking with him, but you can see, yeah, I've had an attitude, I've had a belief, I've had a doubt, I've had a fear that has held me back. I've got a secret sin that is binding me and I haven't been free and I need to be cut free. Today's your day. Today's your day. You are creating your own reality and guess what? It isn't the real reality. Jesus is the real reality. (laughs) And you can be free from whatever it is that you think is such a big deal It's really not a big deal. He can cut right through it, and you'll be free.